Welcome to the Lifestyle First podcast, discussing lifestyle medicine and making self-care as easy as one, two, three. One question, two research reviews, and three actionable health tips, all centered around the Lifestyle First method, your blueprint for the 10 key roots of optimal health and happiness. And now your host, lifestyle medicine physician and coach, Dr. Alka Patel. Welcome to Series 3, Episode 3. This week's theme in the Lifestyle First Method is F, food. And the one question we'll be answering today is, how can our food choices influence inflammation? And is it possible to use food to put autoimmune conditions into remission? So the two pieces of information we'll be looking at are the book Diet and Arthritis by Dr. Gail Darlington and also the book The Autoimmune Solution by Dr. Amy Myers. And to help explore today's question, I am delighted to have with me Dr. Sarah Davies. Dr. Davies is a GP and a functional medicine specialist, and she runs a private clinic in South Manchester. She's very interested in treating autoimmunity and chronic inflammation and chronic fatigue, and has helped so many patients working alongside nutritional therapists. So over to you, Dr. Davies, welcome. And perhaps you could start by explaining what inflammation and autoimmunity actually are. Hi, Alka, thank you for having me. So inflammation, um, as, we, as we all know, is, is when we've got something which is causing pain or swelling, um, and it can be anywhere in the body. So from the joints to the skin um, to the internal organs. Um, and autoimmunity is a really specific kind of inflammation, which is where we've made um, antibodies. So the immune system will start um, to make little cells which will go on to attach themselves to either pathogens so or foods. But then sometimes what happens is those antibodies which are built to attack um, foreign invaders and to defend our bodies will then go on to start cross-reacting with different parts of our own tissues and that's called autoimmunity and again with as with inflammation it's a very specific kind of inflammation where we can get uh, attacking of uh, the organs such as the thyroid or the joints or the hair follicles causing alopecia um, and part of my real interest in my clinic is looking at ways not only that we can reduce inflammation but really looking at these very specific diseases where we're getting target organ damage because our own immune systems are attacking ourselves and looking at ways in which we can reduce that inflammation using the lifestyle first approach. So what's the play on foods then? How is food generating inflammation in our bodies? And probably more specifically, how can food counter inflammation? So, I mean, the, the first thing to say is that we all know that there are really some broad brush things which are going to cause inflammation in almost everybody. So we know too much sugar can lead to diabetes and metabolic syndrome, which is pro-inflammatory. We know if we have oxidized or trans fats, that's again going to cause um, problems with the cell membranes and the blood vessel membranes inside the body. They're inflammatory too. And also a nutrient 
poor diet, so these beige foods that we tend to eat in vast quantities that are high in carbohydrates and maybe trans fats as well, so junk foods in particular, they are, they are very pro-inflammatory. And, and that's part of the food um, culture that we unfortunately live in today. Um, so inflammation can be generated by specific foods that we might think of as bad foods, but then in specific patients, specific foods themselves may go on to cause inflammation or autoimmunity. Uh, the classic uh, case would be something like celiac disease, where um, the protein gluten, which is found in wheat, barley, and rye, um, we make antibodies towards that little gluten protein, which then causes inflammation in our bodies, which then can cause problems with gut function and malabsorption. So one of the things that we think of in a, from a functional medicine approach is not only what kinds of foods are going in, but is there a specific food or set of foods in somebody's diet that could actually be triggering inflammation that is specific to them and so these are food intolerances food sensitivities and food allergies and what i found particularly um, interesting and fascinating from my research and working with lots and lots of patients with autoimmune conditions is that very often if we find the trigger foods um, which are irritating the immune system and we take those away from the diet. Now that can be really specific for that patient. What we can find is that we can actually put some autoimmune conditions into remission because it seems that when the immune system goes quiet on the removal of those foods, the autoantibodies also stop being produced. Um, and I've found that very helpful in multiple um, patients now. So hundreds of patients have benefited from that. Um, piece of, of insight um, and also myself as well. And what are those common triggers then? So you've mentioned gluten already. Now gluten we often or usually associated with celiac don't we but there's also you don't have to have celiac disease to be intolerant of gluten or sensitive to gluten. What are the other sort of food type sources that you found quite commonly? So you're right about the gluten so non-celiac gluten sensitivity is actually really quite common um, especially in people with autoimmune disease. So uh, while we would always screen for celiac disease first before going on a gluten-free diet, um, I think it's one of those, it's one of the trigger foods that's very common uh, in patients with anything from um, autoimmune arthritis to um, inflammatory bowel disease to even alopecia. Um, the other common trigger foods that just statistically speaking would be dairy um, and dairy often about 15% of dairy sensitivity sufferers will also be sensitive maybe to soy. So we always take those two out together. Um, and then there are the other big allergens that we all know about. So eggs, nuts, um, and then sometimes things with lectins on them. So seed coatings, so legumes and um, seeds and peas and beans, things like that. Yeah. So they're, they're all the foods we would think about. Could they possibly be causing a trigger when we see somebody with autoimmunity? Testing is really tricky, though, isn't it? Sort of in terms of sort of testing and finding yeah. out the kind of specific. So do you advocate specific tests or really if you're talking about likelihood and probability, is there an approach which doesn't necessarily rely on on testing? So the thing about the testing um, um, that we find is as Firstly, if we just 
look at the immunoglobulin testing that we can do. So immunoglobulin G, which is the antibodies that are made in the gut lining in the immune system there against foods commonly. So you can do immunoglobulin G testing and there's lots of finger prick tests available uh, commercially. But if you just rely on those alone, you're going to miss out on other kinds of food sensitivity and reactivity. Um, uh, and while you can get much bigger panels, um, which test IgA as well, and maybe you want to test IgG just in case, uh, IgE, which is a, a true allergy, just in case. Mm -hmm. um, the testing starts to get really expensive, so you start to run into sort of thousands of pounds worth of testing. And what we find is, is actually lots of those food sensitivities are actually very temporary, so they're not they're not the the trigger for that person. And if that person has what we call a leaky gut, so they've got in increased intestinal permeability, they'll tend to make some antibodies to just whatever they've eaten recently. And if you do these tests, they just come back really positive for loads of things, which is not very helpful when it comes to guiding that person. So we tend to do really structured um, elimination diets, which tend to last about four weeks. And then with the graded food challenges, um, firstly, it's free to stop eating the foods. Um, and secondly, um, we know what the most common trigger foods are. And you tend to find that at the end of four weeks, any little food um, sensitivities that you might have picked up on the, the testing at the beginning perhaps would have gone away altogether um, just because of the, the healing nature of the diets that, that we use. Okay. Um, so would, so you advocate, I, would you advocate approach to elimination without the need for testing and if so what would that typically look like yeah so I think actually that is my would be my first line approach is, is always to do the only exception would be I would check a celiac test before perhaps putting someone on a gluten-free diet just in case I've missed it because you don't want to miss celiac disease so if anyone wants to try this at home you can buy a little celiac testing kits um, online perhaps to do before you cut out gluten. Um, but we use the, a very standardized approach um, called the autoimmune paleo diet. There are lots of different versions of this online and in books. And um, I've also seen the Whole30 work really successfully. And we do a lot of adaptation in our clinic for patients who don't eat meat. Uh, so you can do a fish-based diet or you can do one where we leave legumes in, but perhaps process them so they're less immunogenic, so they don't trigger the inflammation as much. Um, so that's a really standardized um, protocol, taking out gluten, dairy, soy, egg, maize, nuts, seeds, and legumes. And then we also take out nightshades, especially in people with, say, psoriasis or rheumatoid arthritis. They tend to be a, a potential trigger. We haven't been eating nightshade plants, so tomatoes, aubergines, peppers, chilies for, for you know, more than a few hundred years. So it, sometimes they can be big triggers, we find. What's left? What's left to eat? <laughs> so actually, what's amazing about this diet is it's actually really not focusing on what we're taking out. What we really want to focus on is what's being left in because we have a four-week window to try and completely heal somebody's digestive system as much as possible. So we're looking at fruit, vegetables, and then meat and fish in people who eat those things. Um, and so it's all going to be fresh, it's going to be organic, it's going to be really nutrient-dense, there's no beige foods in here. 
and there's no really inflammatory foods in here so we also go low in sugar and we really encourage patients to increase their healthy um, fat intake so olive oil coconut oil seed oils although we don't heat those um, lots of avocados oily fish so we're really trying to get nutrient density in there and one of the great things about you know green leafy vegetables and the broad phytonutrient spectrum so all the colors that you get from the fruits and vegetables is they are anti-inflammatory they are healing um, and they're also they've got lots of we've got lots of b vitamins in this kind of diet which is going to help with something called methylation which speeds up the healing process in the gut and so the the joy of the elimination diet is it's not just taking away things that can be trigger foods but it's actively putting in anti-inflammatory foods healing foods and really really good sources of nutrition as well brilliant i think that's absolutely the key isn't it it's actually what's going what's going in um, as well you mentioned four weeks what's that window all about what's the magic so that's a really interesting window so what we tend to find with lots of patients who've got sort of delayed sensitivities to food so with an allergy you tend to eat something and you might get hives or swelling or itching straight away whereas a lots of these um trigger foods which are going on to cause perhaps autoimmunity or sort of chronic skin conditions which are not a true allergic reaction they will be immunoglobulin g reactions that take place in the gut and the interesting thing about immunoglobulin g's is once you've made them towards a food they have a half life so they go down by about a half once you stop eating the food by over about 23 days so after 23 days of completely eliminating say dairy if that was a problem for you you would still have half the amount of antibodies that you had at the beginning and that's what people don't appreciate because they will say well i tried cutting out gluten for like a couple of days or, or a few weeks even but they haven't appreciated that those antibodies are still going to be there for you know up to six weeks now, what we find is that we're not going to sustain someone's interest for six weeks. So we're looking at the three to four week window where we've got much lower antibodies. We've got no antigen going in. So we've got none of the allergenic foods going in or symptomatic foods going in. And then what we do when we, is we put the foods in very mindfully one at a time. And what that does is after this washout period where the food has been removed, even though you could perhaps have been eating that food for many years with no apparent symptoms, when you put it back in, we start with small quantities and then we sort of build it up, um, you can get quite severe or, or obvious reactions that you wouldn't have dreamed possible. Um, what's strange is that people say, well, you've just sensitized me. We, we haven't sensitized you. We've uncovered the antibodies that were there already by taking away their binding to that food. And if you were to, say, continue eating the food that gave you tummy ache or a little bit of a rash, uh, and you'd been doing so before the elimination diet, as you continued, all your symptoms would kind of go back to the same baseline that you had before. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a, you have to pay attention right at that beginning when you put the food back in to find out what your triggers are. Um, okay, so it sounds like a very precise method, really focused removal and then gradual kind of reintroduction um, and a real awareness sort of being really mindful about your your body and what it's telling you and your sensations and your and your symptoms and kind of really having a, a focused approach to that over that sort of four week 
So it's, it's a four week period, but then it's going to be another sort of four or five weeks doing the food reintroductions because we do them quite slowly. And every time you have a reaction, you want to wait until that settles before trying a new food. So it, it is quite a slow process, but it is the gold standard for finding out if you've got any food sensitivities. Um, and we find it, it's again, very helpful for teaching patients, firstly, how to eat this amazing, healthy, whole foods diet. And so, and, and it's so quite a few people will lose a few pounds as well because it's low in, low in carbohydrates. You have to eat a much bigger bulk of fruit and vegetables to kind of keep the calories going in. Um, and the second thing is that, um, so once you've taught the patient how to eat like this, they've then got that knowledge going forward and they're much more aware of how their body works. And, and it, there could be that there are foods you've not challenged and they haven't taken out, and they suddenly realize, do you know what? When I have bananas, I'm always a little bit, I've always got some digestive symptoms afterwards. Maybe bananas are an issue for me. And of course, we wouldn't have tried those. In mm, yeah, I love that. I think having that increased awareness, slowing down that pace of eating because it helps you to really tune in to the effects is, is really important. We should all be eating much slower and much more mindfully and much more, with much more awareness. And now here is your lifestyle first prescription. Your three activating actions to take you from knowing to doing. Three top health actions for listeners today. What are your three things? So I think the first thing is, is that don't be afraid to try these, these interventions. Um, I have seen so many patients uh, over the years who have read all about, and this includes me, who've read all about how to do elimination diets, the benefits that there might be by, you know, even just going gluten, trying to go gluten-free. Um, but it never, it never quite turns into action. Okay. So have a go, get yourself informed, take responsibility for your own health. Um, that taking responsibility and, and starting is just so important. And you know, if it goes wrong, it doesn't matter. Um, with elimination diets, you do want to try. And so the second thing is try and get it right the first time. There's nothing more disappointing than an elimination diet plan that gets sort of three quarters of the way through and then just goes wrong because somebody just decides to start going back to eating normally again and they lose their food challenges. So you, we know that the foods are causing problems because they get a lot of symptoms when they have their pizza and beer and whatever but we're not sure which parts of those components have, have triggered the reaction. Um, so while, yes, you need to get on with it, secondly, just take a little step back and plan. Plan a little bit first and practice some of the, the kind of new diet recipes that you might want to try. Step back, plan. You want a nice, you know, six to eight week stretch when an elimination diet could be useful to you without any big social events in it. Um, and then thirdly, what you might find helpful while doing an elimination diet is to get a little bit of supplementation to help. So sometimes we do find patients help, uh, find it useful to have a little bit of something just to support them in the first couple of weeks of elimination when they might feel a little bit, um, low in nutrients because they've not got used to how to eat. And when also, um, the withdrawal effects from stopping foods can make them feel poorly. So 
do familiarize yourself with the possible side effects of elimination diets. They can last up to two weeks. Um, you may get significant bowel changes, some mood change, and some uh, increase in fatigue. That will tend to turn a corner by week two, week three, when you tend to start feeling energized again and the withdrawal effects have worn off. Yeah. Great. I think those are really fantastic tips, Sarah. So really, I think the suggestions sound as though get focused and get ready and carve yourself out this sort of eight week window where you're taking responsibility and feeling like you really want to do something and have a plan. Know exactly what it is that you're going to absolutely. focus on and be really tuned in to the effects of that. Yeah, absolutely. Love those tips. I think they're really, really helpful to get people get people going and, and fired up and ready because it makes such a big, big difference, doesn't it, for symptoms that you've had for such a long time often. Yeah. And almost it's the suspension of disbelief as well. So it's really difficult. And I think this is especially true for doctors as well. As we meet a lot of opposition from um, doctors, sometimes the specialists are telling their patients, no, you don't want to do as one of these special gluten free diets. It's not for you. It's nothing to do with your condition. Um, it is difficult to believe that just simply taking out one or two foods can create healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but my experience from my own health, so I, I had, an, auto, I had a, an inflammatory arthritis from the age of about 14. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s and, and actually went through the process of an elimination diet that I realized um, my arthritis is, was simply gluten sensitivity. And I find that's true for lots of patients. And, you know, I think 70 to 80 percent of, of my autoimmune patients have amazing results simply with diet changes alone so do suspend disbelief and have a go it really can happen thank you thank you for that i think we're learning so much more about the gut and the gut microbes and the gut microbiota and and how that impacts on on so many things that we don't automatically associate with our gut so um that's amazing thank you so sarah if people wanted to get in touch find out a little bit more uh, how can we connect with you um so i have my my own website which is www.drsarahdavies.co.uk. Um, so if you want to see a little bit more about the work that we do and what we have to offer, you can go there. Perfect. Thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed today's insights with you and I hope uh, listeners have as well. So thank you so much. And I hope everyone has a happy, healthy day. Thanks, Alka. Thanks for joining us on the Lifestyle First podcast making self-care as easy as one, two, three. Don't forget to subscribe and share, and we'd love it if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. To learn more or to arrange a consultation, please visit www.dralkapatel.com. See you next time.